Chapter Nine, Part One of Laddie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Laddie by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter Nine, Part One. Even so, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Our big girls and boys always made a dreadful fuss and said we would catch every disease you could mention, but mother and father were set about it, just like the big rocks in the hills. They said they themselves once had been at the mercy of the people, and they knew how it felt. Mother said when they were coming here in a wagon, and she had ridden until she had to walk to rest her feet, and held a big baby until her arms became so tired she drove while father took it. And when at last they saw a house and stopped, she said if the woman hadn't invited her in, and let her cook on the stove, given her milk and eggs, and furnished her a bed to sleep in once in a while. She couldn't have reached here at all, and she never had been refused once. Then she always quoted, "All things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them." Father said there were men who made a business of splitting hairs, and of finding different meanings in almost everything in the Bible. I would like to have seen any one split hairs about that, or it made to mean something else. Of all the things in the Bible that you had to do because it said to. Whether you liked it or not, that was the one you struck oftenest in life, and it took the hardest pull to obey. It was just the hatefulest text of any, and made you squirm most. There was no possible way to get around it. It meant that if you liked a splinter new slate and a sharp pencil all covered with gold paper, to make pictures and write your lessons, when Clarissa Polk sat next to you and sang so low the teacher couldn't hear it until she put herself to sleep on it. I wished I had a slate. I wished I had a slate. I wished I had a slate. Oh, I wished I had a slate. It meant that you just had to wash up yours and stop making pictures yourself and pass it over. You even had to smile when you offered it if you did it right. I seldom got through it as the Lord would, for anyone who loaned Clarissa a slate knew that it would come back with greasy, sweaty finger marks on it. You almost had to dig a hole to wash off. And your pencil would be wet, and if there were the least flaw of crystal in the pencil, she found it and bore down so hard that what she wrote never would come off. The Lord always seemed bigger and more majestic to me than at any other time, when I remembered that He could have known all that and yet smiled as He loaned Clarissa his slate. And that old Bible thing meant too that if you would like it, if you were traveling a long way, say to California to hunt gold. Or even just to Indiana to find a farm fit to live on, it meant that if you were tired, hungry, and sore, and would want to be taken in and fed and rested, you had to let in other people when they reached your home. Father and mother had been through it themselves, and they must have been tired as could be, before they reached Sarah Hood's and she took them in, and rested and fed them, even when they were only a short way from the top of the little hill. Where next morning they looked down and stopped the wagon, until they chose the place to build their house. Sarah Hood came along and helped mother all day, so by night she was settled in the old cabin that was on the land, and ready to go to work making money to build a new one, and then a big house, and fix the farm all beautiful like it was then. They knew so well how it felt that they kept one bed in the boys' room, and any man who came at dusk got his supper to sleep there and his breakfast. And there never was anything to pay. The girls always scolded dreadfully about the extra washing, 
but mother said she slept on sheets when she came out, and someone washed them. One time Sally said, Mother, have you ever figured out how many hundred sheets you've washed since to pay for that? Mother said, No, but I just hope it will make a stack high enough for me to climb from into heaven. Sally said, The talk at the church always led me to think that you flew to heaven. Mother answered, So I get there. I don't mind if I creep. Then Sally knew it was time to stop. We always knew. And we stopped, too. We had heard that all things quotation, until the first two words were as much as mother ever needed repeat of it any more, and we had cooked, washed for, and waited on people traveling, until Leon got so when he saw anyone coming. Of course we knew all the neighbors, and their horses and wagons and carriages. He always said, Here comes another even so. He said we had done even so to people, until it was about our share. But mother said our share was going to last until the Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant, and took us home. She had much more about the stranger at the gate, and entertaining angels unawares. Why, she knew every single thing in the Bible that meant it was her duty to feed and give a bed to anyone, no matter how dirty or miserable looking he was. So when Leon came in one evening at dusk and said, There's another even so coming down the little hill. All of us knew that we'd have company for the night, and we had. I didn't like that man, but some of the others seemed to find him amusing. Maybe it was because I had nothing to do but sit and watch him, and so I saw more of him than the ones who came and went all the time. As long as there was anyone in the room, he complained dreadfully about his sore foot, and then cheered up and talked, and he could tell interesting things. He was young, but he must have been most everywhere, and seen everything. He was very brave, and could stand off three men who were going to take from him the money he was carrying to buy a piece of land in Illinois. The minute the grown folks left the room to milk, do the night feeding, and begin supper, he twisted in his chair and looked at every door, and went and stood at the back dining-room window, where he could see the barn and what was out there. And coming back, he took a peep into father's and mother's room, and although he limped dreadfully when he came, he walked like any one when he went over and picked up father's gun, and looked to see if it were loaded, and seemed mighty glad when he found it wasn't. Father said he could load in a flash when it was necessary, but he was dubious about a loaded gun in a house full of children. Not one of us ever touched it, until the boys were big enough to have permission, like Laddie and Leon had. He said a gun was such a great moral persuader, that the sight of one was mostly all that was needed and nobody could tell by looking at it whether it was loaded or not. This man could, for he examined the lock, and smiled in a pleased way over it, and he never limped a step going back to his chair. He kept on complaining, until father told him before bedtime that he had better rest a day or two, and mother said that would be a good idea. He talked so much we couldn't do our lessons or spell very well, but it was Friday, and we'd have another chance Saturday, so it didn't make so much difference. Father said the traveler must be tired and sleepy, and Leon should take a light and show him to bed. He stayed so long, Father went to the foot of the stairway, and asked him why he didn't come down, and he said he was in bed too. The next morning he was sleepy at breakfast, and Laddie said it was no wonder, because Leon and the traveler were talking when he went upstairs. The man turned to Father and said, "'That's a mighty smart boy, Mr. Stanton.' Father frowned and said, Praise to the face is open disgrace. 
I hope he will be smart enough not to disgrace us anyway. The traveller said he was sure he would be, and we could see that he had taken a liking to Leon, for he went with him to the barn to help do the morning feeding. They stayed so long, mother sent me to call them, and when I got there, the man was telling Leon how foolish it was for boys to live on a farm, how they never would amount to anything unless they went to cities, and about all the fun there was there, and how nice it was to travel, even along the roads, because everyone fed you and gave you a good bed. He forgot that walking had made his foot lame, and I couldn't see, to save me, why he was going to spend his money to buy a farm if he thought a town the only place where it was fit to live. He stayed all Saturday, and father said Sunday was no suitable time to start on a journey again, and the man's foot was bad when father was around, so it would be better to wait until Monday. The traveller tagged Leon, and told him what a fine fellow he was, how smart he was, and to prove it, Leon boasted about everything he knew, and showed the man all over the farm. I even saw them pass the station in the orchard, and heard Leon brag how father had been an agent for the governor. But of course he didn't really show him the place, and probably it would have made no difference if he had, for all the money must have been spent on Sally's wedding. Of course father might have put some there he had got since, or that money might never have been his at all, but it seemed as if it would be, because it was on his land. Sunday evening all of us attended church, but the traveller was too tired, so when Leon said he'd stay with him, father thought it was all right. I could see no one wanted to leave the man alone in the house. He said they'd go to bed early, and we came in quite late. The lamp was turned low, the door unlocked, and everything in place. Laddie went to bed without a candle, and said he'd undress and slip in easy so as not to waken them. In the morning when he got up, the traveler's bed hadn't been slept in, and neither had Leon's. The gun was gone, and father stared at mother, and mother stared at Laddie and he turned and ran straight toward the station, and in a minute he was back, whiter than a plate. He just said, All gone. Father and mother both sat down suddenly and hard. Then Laddie ran to the barn, and came back, and said none of the horses had been taken. Soon they went into the parlor, and shut the door, and when they came out, father staggered, and mother looked exactly like Sabethany. Laddie ran to the barn, saddled Floss, and rode away. Father wanted to ring an alarm on the dinner-bell, like he had a call arranged to get all the neighbors there quickly if we had sickness or trouble. And Mother said, Paul, you shall not. He's so young. We've got to keep this as long as we can, and maybe the Lord will help us find him, and we can give him another chance. Father started to say something, and Mother held up her hand, and just said, Paul. And he sank back in the chair and kept still. Mother always had spoken of him as the head of the family, and here he wasn't at all. He minded her quickly as I would. When Miss Amelia came downstairs, they let her start to school, and never told her a word. But Mother said May and I were not to go. So I slipped out and ran through the orchard to look at the station, and sure enough the stone was rolled back, the door open, and the can lying on the floor. I slid down and picked it up and there was one sheet of paper money left in it stuck to the sides. It was all plain as a pike-staff. Leon must have thought the money had been spent, and showed the traveller the station, just to brag, and he guessed there might be something there, and had gone while we were at church and taken it. He had all night the start of us, and he might have a horse waiting somewhere, and be almost to Illinois by this time, 
and if the money belonged to father, there would be no Christmas. And if it happened to be the money the county gave him to pay the men who worked the roads every fall, and Miss Amelia, or collections from the church, he'd have to pay it back, even if it put him in debt. And if he died, they might take the land, like he said. And where on earth was Leon? Knew what he'd done in hiding, I bet. He needed the thrashing he would get that time. And I started out to hunt him, and have it over with, so mother wouldn't be uneasy about him yet. And then I remembered Laddie had said Leon hadn't been in bed all night. He was gone, too. Maybe he wanted to try life in a city, where the traveler had said everything was so grand. But he must have known that he'd kill his mother if he went. And while he didn't kiss her so often, and talk so much as some of us, I never could see that he didn't run quite as fast to get her a chair or save her a step. He was so slim and light, he could race for the doctor faster than Laddie or father, either one. Of course he loved his mother, just as all of us did. He never, never could go away and not let her know about it. If he had gone, that watchful-eyed man, who was lame only part of the time, had taken the gun and made him go. I thought I might as well save the money he'd overlooked, so I gripped it tight in my hand and put it in my apron pocket, the same as I had Laddie's note to the princess, and started to the barn on the chance that Leon might be hiding. I knew precious well I would if I were in his place. So I hunted the granaries, the haymow, the stalls. Then I stood on the threshing floor and cried, Leon, if you're hiding, come quick. Mother will be sick with worrying, and father will be so glad to see you. He won't do anything much. Do please hurry. Then I listened, and all I could hear was a rat gnawing at a corner of the granary under the hay. Might as well have saved its teeth. It would strike a strip of tin when it got through, but of course it couldn't know that. Then I went to every hole around the haystack, where the cattle had eaten. None were deep yet, like they would be later in the season. And all the way I begged of Leon to come out. Once a rooster screamed, flew in my face, and scared me good. But no Leon. So I tried the corn crib, the implement shed, and the wood house, climbing the ladder with the money still gripped in one hand. Then I slipped in the front door, up the stairs, and searched the garret, even away back where I didn't like to very well. At last I went to the dining room, and I don't think either father or mother had moved, while Sabethany turned to stone, looked good compared with them. Seemed as if it would have been better if they'd cried or scolded, or anything but just sit there as they did when you could see by their moving once in a while that they were alive. In the kitchen, Candace and May finished the morning work, and both of them cried steadily. I slipped to May. Whose money was it? I whispered. Father's, or the county's, or the church's? All three, said May. The traveler took it? How would he find it? None of us knew there was such a place before. Laddie seemed to know. Oh, Laddie, father trusts him about everything. They don't think he told. Of course not, silly. It's Leon who is gone. Leon may have told about the station, I cried. He didn't touch the money. He never touched it. Then I went straight to father. Keeping a secret was one thing. Seeing the only father you had look like that was another. I held out the money. There's one piece old even so didn't get anyway, I said. "'found it on the floor of the station, where it was stuck to the can. "'And I thought Leon must be hiding, for fear he'd be whipped for telling. "'But I've hunted where we usually hide, "'and promised him everything under the sun if he'd come out. "'But he didn't, 
so I guess that traveler man must have used the gun to make him go along. Father sat and stared at me. He never offered to touch the money, not even when I held it against his hand. So I saw that money wasn't the trouble, else he'd have looked quick enough to see how much I had. They were thinking about Leon being gone. At least father was. Mother called me to her and asked, You knew about the station? I nodded. When? On the way back from taking Amanda Deem her ducks this summer. Leon was with you? He found it. What were you doing? Sitting on the fence eating apples. We were wondering why that ravine place wasn't cleaned up, when everywhere else was. And then Leon said there might be a reason. He told about having seen a black man, and that he was hidden someplace. And we hunted there and found it. We rolled back the stone and opened the door, and Leon went in, and both of us saw a can full of money. Go on. We didn't touch it, Mother. Truly we didn't. Leon said we'd found something not intended for children, and we'd be whipped sick if we ever went near or told. And we never did, not even once, unless Leon wanted to boast to the traveler man. But if he showed him the place, he thought sure the money had all been spent on the wedding and sending Shelley away. Father's arms shot out, and his head pitched on the table. Mother got up and began to walk the floor, and never went near or even touched him. I couldn't bear it. I went and pulled his arm and put the bill under his hand. Leon didn't take your money. He didn't. He didn't. I just know he didn't. He does tricks because they are so funny, or he thinks they'll be. But he doesn't steal. He doesn't touch a single thing that is not his. Only melons or chicken out of the skillet, or bread from the cellar. But not money and things. I take gizzards and bread myself, but I don't steal, and Leon or none of us do. Oh, Father, we don't. Not one of us do. Don't you remember about Thou Shalt Not and the Crusaders? Leon's the best fighter of any of us. I'm not sure that he couldn't even whip Laddie if he got mad enough. Maybe he can't whip the traveler if he has the gun. But, Father, Leon simply couldn't take the money. Laddie will stay home and work, and all of us. We can help get it back. We can sell a lot of things. Laddie will sell floss before he'll see you suffer so. And all of us will give up Christmas, and we'll work... We'll work as hard as ever we can. And maybe you could spare the little piece Joe Risdell wants to build his cabin on. We can manage about the money, Father. Indeed we can. But you don't dare think Leon took it. He never did. Why, he's yours, yours and Mother's. Father lifted his head and reached out his arms. You blessing, he said. You blessing from the Lord. Then he gave me a cold, stiff kiss on the forehead, went to Mother, took her arm, and said, Come, Mommy, let's go and tell the Lord about it, and then we'll try to make some plan. Perhaps Laddie will be back with word soon. But he almost had to carry her. Then we could hear him praying, and he was so anxious, and he made it so earnest, it sounded exactly like the Lord was in our room, and Father was talking right to his face. I tried to think, and this is what I thought. As Father left the room, he looked exactly as I had seen Mr. Pryor more than once and my mother had both hands gripped over her heart, and she said we must not let anyone know. Now, if something could happen to us, to make my father look like the princesses, and my mother hold her heart with both hands, and if no one were to know about it like they had said, how were we any different from priors? We might be of the Lord's anointed, but we could get into the same kind of trouble the infidels could, and have secrets ourselves. 
or at least it seemed as if it might be very nearly the same, when it made father and mother look and act the way they did. I wondered if we'd have to leave our lovely, lovely home, cross a sea, and be strangers in a strange land, as Laddie said, and if people would talk about us, and make us feel that being a stranger was the loneliest, hardest thing in all the world. Well, if mysteries are like this, and we have to live with one days and years, the Lord have mercy on us. Then I saw the money lying on the table, so I took it and put it in the Bible. Then I went out and climbed the catalpa tree to watch for Laddie. Soon I saw a funny thing, such as I never before had seen. Coming across the fields, straight toward our house, sailing over the fences like a bird, came the princess on one of her horses. Its legs stretched out so far its body almost touched the ground, and it lifted up and swept over the rails. She took our meadow fence lengthwise, and at the hitching rack she threw the bridle over the post, dismounted, and then I saw she had been riding astride, like a man. I ran before her and opened the sitting-room door, but no one was there, so I went on to the dining-room. Father had come in, and Mother was sitting in her chair. Both of them looked at the princess and never said a word. She stopped inside the dining-room door and spoke breathlessly, as if she, as well as the horse, had raced. "'I hope I'm not intruding,' she said. "'But a man north of us told our Thomas in the village "'that robbers had taken quite a large sum of hidden money "'you held for the county and the church, and of your own, and your gun, "'and got away while you were at church last night. Is it true?' "'Practically,' said my father. "'Then my mother motioned toward a chair. "'You are kind to come,' she said. "'Won't you be seated?' The princess stepped to the chair, but she gripped the back in both hands and stood straight, breathing fast, her eyes shining with excitement, her lips and cheeks red. So lovely, you just had to look and look. No, she said, I'll tell you why I came, and then, if there is nothing I can do here, and no errand I can ride for you, I'll go. Mother has heart trouble, the worst in all the world, the kind no doctor can ever hope to cure. And sometimes, mostly at night, she is driven to have outside air. Last night she was unusually ill, and I heard her leave the house, after I'd gone to my room. I watched from my window, and saw her take a seat on a bench under the nearest tree. I was moving around, and often I looked to see if she were still there. Then the dogs began to rave, and I hurried down. They used to run free, but lately, on account of her going out, father has been forced to tie them at night. They were straining at their chains, and barking dreadfully. I met her at the door. "'but she would only say someone passed and gave her a fright. "'When Thomas came in and told what he had heard, "'she said instantly that she had seen the man. "'She said he was about the size of Thomas, "'that he came from your direction, "'that he ran when our dogs barked, "'but he kept beside the fences "'and climbed over where there were trees. "'He crossed our barnyard and went toward the northwest. "'Mother saw him distinctly as he reached the road, "'and she said he was not a large man.' He stooped when he ran, and she thought he moved like a slinking city thief. She is sure he's the man who took your money. She says he acted exactly as if he were trying to escape pursuit. But I was to be sure to tell you that he didn't carry a gun. If your gun is gone, there must have been two, and the other man took that and went a different way. Did two men stop here? No, said father, only one. The princess looked at him thoughtfully. "'Do you think, Mr. Stanton,' she said, "'that the man who took the money would burden himself with a gun? "'Isn't a rifle heavy for one in flight to carry?' 
"'It is,' said father. "'Your mother saw nothing of two men?' "'Only one, and she knows he didn't carry a gun. "'Except the man you took in. "'No stranger has been noticed around here lately?' "'No one. We are quite careful. "'Even the gun was not loaded as it stood. "'Whoever took it carried the ammunition also. "'But he couldn't fire until he loaded.' Father turned to the corner where the gun always stood, and then he stooped and picked up two little white squares from the floor. They were bits of unbleached muslin, in which he wrapped the bullets he made. The rifle was loaded before starting, and in a hurry, he said, as he held up the squares of muslin. Then he scratched a match, bent, and ran it back and forth over the floor, and at one place there was a flash, and the flame went around in funny little fizzes, as it caught a grain of powder here and there. You see, the measure was overrun. Wouldn't the man naturally think the gun was loaded and take it as it stood? That would be the reasonable conclusion, said father. But he looked, I cried, that first night when you and the boys went to the barn and the girls were getting supper. He looked at the gun, and he liked it when he saw it wasn't loaded. He smiled. And he didn't limp a mite when I was the only one in the room. He and Leon knew it wasn't loaded, and I guess he didn't load it, for he liked having it empty so well. Um, said father, what it would save in this world if a child only knew when to talk and when to keep still. Little sister, the next time you see a stranger examine my gun when I'm not in the room, suppose you take father out alone and whisper to him about it. Yes, sir, I said. End of chapter 9, part 1